Okay, over the last few weeks, we've talked a lot about what it means to be a Christ follower. We've talked about how one cannot simply take the name of Christ, about how one cannot simply make a statement about belief in him or just attend church regularly. That is simply not enough. One must, as Paul states very clearly, confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead. And we talked about how if Jesus is our Lord, it's not just a case of giving him that name. It is not his name, it is who he is. And I told you about people I've, I've known that I've spoken to who kept referring to the Lord, even though I know that they were, they were an atheist, that they did not believe in God at all. So how could Jesus be your Lord? And they were just calling him that because they were giving him that name. Now, if Jesus is Lord over us, then he has certain rights over us. If Jesus is Lord, then we are not free to do as we please. We are not free to write the agenda of our lives for today or tomorrow or for the next week. If Jesus is Lord, everything we are, every effort, every resource, every gift we have is his and for his use. And yet, the Apostle Paul also writes, it is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm then and do not let yourselves be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. For here we find a crucial truth, a tension, if you like, of being a disciple, a follower of Jesus. We are slaves of Christ Jesus. We are not free, yet we have been set free for freedom's sake. And the truth is we are freer than we have ever been. So how can this be? How is it that we are no longer free to live as we please, as Christ followers? And yet Paul says that Christ has set us free for freedom's sake. We need to be very clear on just what we've been set free from. We are free because Christ has set us free from our slavery to sin and our enslavement to rebellion against God. And we are free from our guilt. We, we have been justified because Jesus has taken the punishment on himself that we deserved. And as a result, when God looks at you, he sees the righteousness of Christ. It is just as though you had never sinned. You are justified. Just as if you have never sinned is a good way to remember it. You are justified completely in a legal sense you are completely free from the need to pay for your sins because Jesus Christ has already done that for you. The price has already been paid. Therefore, you are free from that. And he gives that to you as a free gift of his grace. Now, that is the description, if you like, of our status, our standing before God. We have freedom in Christ, but with that freedom comes responsibilities. Remember, Paul wrote to the Ephesians. We looked at this last week. He says, as a prisoner for the Lord then, I urge you, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. How should we live as people set free and people who must live a life worthy of the call of God on their lives? 
You know that movie Saving Private Ryan? It's a very powerful scene, isn't it, at the end when, for those who don't know, it's a Steven Spielberg movie about the Second World War. Private Ryan is the last of, is it three or four brothers? Four. Four brothers, three have been killed. And the Americans decide, no, this family has paid enough. This widow has lost three of her sons and they send a group to get, group of men to get Private Ryan. It's just the most powerful story. And in the end, he's, he's there at the grave of one of the men who saved his life, who died saving his life. And he's asking this very question of his family. You see, when those guys gave their life, these kids were not born. He wasn't even married. In the end, he's saying, have I lived? Have I lived a life worthy of the price they paid? You see, it's exactly the same for us. Are we living a life worthy of the calling we have received? Of the gift given to us by his grace? How should we live as people set free? Remember the things we can't do in any way. We can't earn our our salvation. We can't earn our freedom. That has been done. We know from Scripture that we are justified by faith alone, not by works, so that no one may boast. Well, how should we live then as people set free? Well, firstly, we need to understand that as human beings, we are hardwired to worship. You are hardwired to worship. It is part of your DNA. Whenever we worship the Creator, we will find freedom. But whenever we worship the creation, we will be enslaved. That is a truth I am so convinced of. Whenever we worship the creation, we will be enslaved. You were created to worship God and to live in the freedom which is only found in him. Today, I I want to talk about the life which flows out of this freedom and how it is lived out day in and day out. And I want to speak very specifically about what happens when the Holy Spirit comes to live within a person. What happens to a person when God somehow, mysteriously, moves into their life? What happens to a human being when the eternal God takes up residence within them? That is a deeply mysterious thing, is it not? If you think you can get your head around that, I don't think you've thought about it. <laughs> that is a deeply mysterious thing. Now, if you have your Bible, would you please turn to Galatians chapter 5? It'll be up on the screen here as well. Galatians 5.13 says, You, my brothers, were called to be free, but do not use your freedom to indulge the sinful nature. Rather, serve one another in love. The entire law is summed up in a single command. Love your neighbour as yourself. If you keep on biting and devouring each other, watch out or you will be destroyed by each other. So I say, live by the Spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the sinful nature. For the sinful nature desires what is contrary to the Spirit. 
and the spirit what is contrary to the sinful nature. They are in conflict with each other so that you do not do what you want. But if you are led by the spirit, you are not under law. The acts of the sinful nature are obvious. Sexual immorality, impurity and debauchery, idolatry and witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions and envy, drunkenness, orgies and the like. I warn you as I did before that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness and self-control. Against such things there is no law. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the sinful nature with its passions and desires. Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking and envying each other. This morning I want you to think about fruit. You know, when I was a kid, growing up, I'm sure many of you had the same experience. We had a lemon tree in the backyard. Who had a lemon tree in the backyard growing up? Well, I remember this one that we had at French's Forest. It was an old lemon tree. And it produced heaps of fruit. And as little kids, <coughs> it provided a kind of interesting twist to the game of cricket, particularly with playing with a tenno, you see. My brother became particularly good at hitting that tennis ball in amongst the lemons. We even had a rule that you weren't out if the bales were removed by a piece of fruit, you know, if you picked up the wrong ball. Anyway, the point is, this tree every year just produced so much fruit it wasn't funny. But the lemons were awful. The skin on them was like about that thick. And they just were horrid. And so the years went by and eventually mum said, love, just get that thing out of there. You see, it didn't produce good fruit. It was a waste of space. And so dad got rid of that. He cut it down and it was a good thing to do. And Jesus said something about fruit. He said, make a tree good and its fruit will be good. Make a tree bad, and its fruit will be bad. For a tree is recognised by its fruit. A fruit tree is not recognised by just how wonderful its foliage is or how good it looks, but rather by the fruit that it produces. Do you know what? Ultimately, You and I will be recognised, whether we like it or not, by our fruit. By the fruit of our life. You will either be known as someone who produced good things with your life, good fruit, or you'll be remembered as someone who produced bad things with their life, bad fruit. Every single one of us, as Christ followers as Christians, have within us two fruit trees. This is such an important concept. It is such a wonderful image that Jesus gives us. We really need to learn from this. Every single one of us has two trees 
within us. One tree is the sinful nature. And the sinful nature will never produce good fruit. The sinful nature produces bad fruit. That's just what it does. And the Holy Spirit living within us produces good fruit. Have a careful look at verse 16 and 17. Paul says, So I say live by the Spirit. Live by the, the, the tree, in a sense, that produces good fruit. And you will not gratify the desires of the sinful nature. For the sinful nature desires what is contrary to the Spirit, and the Spirit what is contrary to the sinful nature. We need to be very clear on this. They are in conflict with each other so that you do not do what you want. So Paul's speaking about what it means to be in Christ and what it means to live by the Spirit. When we become Christians, Christ followers, he gives us his Holy Spirit to dwell within us and then we can choose to live by that Spirit. Paul is saying there is a conflict within you There's a sinful nature, the old nature who wants to go this way, but then there is the Holy Spirit, the redeemed nature he is producing within us, which wants to go the other way. And Paul is saying those two, the old nature and the Holy Spirit, are at odds with each other. Have you ever felt that in your life? I'll tell you what, Paul, in Romans 7, he he talks about how I want to do this, but I end up doing that, and oh... Just my whole life is a mess because I never seem to be able to do what I want to do. He talks about this conflict. That's what Paul is talking about here. There is a conflict inside of us that occurs when the Holy Spirit comes to live within us. That conflict wasn't there before. I think you need to realise this. Before you became a Christian, there's no conflict. You have, just like every other human being, a fruit tree living within you that produces bad fruit. There is no conflict. And if ever you wonder to yourself, am I really saved? If you know anything about the conflict, you know you're saved. Because without the Holy Spirit living in you, you're not saved. Without the Holy Spirit living within you, there's no conflict. If you struggle with sin, it's because you're saved and the Holy Spirit is living within you. So what does the sinful nature look like? Well, it's important that we know what it looks like because, well, then you'll know not to listen to it, not to listen to the sinful nature. It's that simple. Remember, Jesus said, know the truth for the truth will set you free. What is the truth about the sinful nature? Well, Paul makes it very clear. It looks like this. He says, the acts of the sinful nature are obvious. Don't think, oh, well, it's very, it's hard to work it out. It's a a complicated thing. No, he says, the acts of the sinful nature are obvious. Sexual immorality. When there's temptation to be sexually immoral, that is the sinful nature speaking. Name it for what it is and turn from it. If somehow the little voice inside your head is saying, no, I'm sure God is leading me. God is leading me here to put aside the wife of my youth and to take up with this new babe 
who I met at work. That is not the Holy Spirit speaking to you. That is the sinful nature. Then he says impurity and debauchery. You know, I looked up debauchery. It's not a word we use very often today. So I wanted to check exactly what it means. It means to behave with unbridled lust. Unbridled. Think of a horse that has no bridle. There's nothing to control the horse. There's nothing to go, whoa, stop. Whoa, don't do that. Unbridled lust. You have a lust, you have a desire, but there's no, whoa, we shouldn't go there. Unbridled lust, being outrageous, acting shamefully. That's the kind of thing that people do at wild parties, isn't it? And then take selfies and put it up on Facebook for everyone to see. That's the kind of thing people do when they wake up the following morning and they can't remember what they've done or who they've been with the night before. That's debauchery. And then next he, he lists idolatry and witchcraft. Now, idolatry is about worship. Remember, we're hardwired to worship. You don't believe me? You watch people watching sport or at a rock concert. We are hardwired to worship. We really are. You watch men walking in a crowd. I can't believe the other day I, I, I was driving through the entrance and I saw two guys walking arm in arm with their wives, presumably their wives, across the intersection. And a particularly good-looking young lady walked between them. And both men were just... Oh. It's like they're nearly falling over their wives. Their arms are all getting twisted and the two of them are looking back like this. I thought... I've been working on this message, you see. I thought, there they are, worshipping the creation. Worshipping creation. Mark Driscoll says, the most beautiful thing in all creation is a naked woman. I'd agree. Some of you are going, what? (laughs) Whenever we worship the creation, we will be enslaved. We are hardwired to worship. You know, that, that is... That's what idolatry is all about. Worship of anything in creation is idolatry, despite the fact that God said the creation is good. We're not to worship it. We're to worship the, creation, the, we're worship the creator, not the creation. The rest of the list is fairly obvious, that it's good to name these things and to know what they do not flow from. They do not flow from the spirit, but rather from the sinful nature. These things will produce bad fruit in your life. Hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage. If you find yourself hating someone, that is not coming from the spirit. It is coming from the sinful nature. And believe me, its fruit in your life will stink. If you find yourself being sucked into discord and conflict, or you recognize jealousy in your life, it is coming from the sinful nature and the fruit of that in your life will stink. If you find yourself having fits of rage, the result, the fruit, will stink. And the same can be said of selfish ambition, dissensions, factions, envy, drunkenness, orgies and the like. That's what Paul says. This is the fruit of the sinful nature. This is the the fruit, the stuff that flows naturally from the life 
of one who is directed by the sinful nature. This is the fruit of a life without God. It's that simple. Now I want you to notice the warning at the end of this list. Paul says, I warn you, as I did before, that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. That's a really sobering warning, isn't it, that we can easily skim over. So does that mean I can somehow earn my way to heaven? Well, no. We, we know from so many other New Testament passages that salvation is only found through faith in Jesus. Simply saying, without Jesus and without the Holy Spirit living in you, you haven't got a hope. Your life will just produce this kind of fruit. And it's probably just evident that evidence that you are not saved. You actually need to just get right with God. Okay, so that's the sinful nature side. What about the other side? What does the fruit of the Holy Spirit look like? What will, the, what will your life produce just naturally when you allow the Holy Spirit to direct your life? You know, when the choice stands before you, can I suggest that you choose these things? The, the choice always stands before us. And we need to just become really good at recognising the choices and recognising the voices within us. When the choice stands before you, you choose these things, Paul says, and your life will produce good fruit. He says, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against these things, there's no law. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified, put it to death, the sinful nature with its passions and desires. Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. You know, a fruit tree, that's why it's such a great example. It just produces fruit all by itself. It really does. No amount of jumping up and down will make that produce more fruit. All you can do is provide the right environment for the tree to grow in. And it will produce fruit all by itself. Let me suggest to you that is exactly the same with your life. It is exactly the same. I want you to think about the kind of environment your life is growing in. Just think about that for a moment. What is the environment? If you're struggling with that, let me help you. It has been said, and I really believe this, that your life is the sum of your habits. You think, oh, I'm not a habitual person. I'm totally out there. I just do a new thing all the time. What a load of rubbish. I guarantee if I started asking you some questions, we would establish that you are very habitual, as we all are. Your life is the sum of of your habits and those habits form the environment in which your life grows I've said this to you a number of times but it is a big issue if you're spending time looking at pornography every week if every day if that is your habit what type of fruit do you think your life will produce what are you feeding by that habit? 
You're feeding the sinful nature, aren't you? One of the fruits of the sinful nature is sexual immorality. So that's what you're feeding if you look at pornography. What about if you spend your lunch times sitting around gossiping and putting other people down? Or you come here to church on a Sunday and you don't act a certain way here, but the, the habit that you're in is that, that every week or every day we, we go together with my workmates and we sit there around this table and, and we have a, a good old session kind of you know, bitching about someone else. And the reality is that when you do that, you actually feel kind of pulled together with those people, you know, knit together, because we all hate that person. We all bag that person out. And it's okay, because they're the boss, and that's what you're meant to do to the boss. Hate him with vengeance. You know, if that's the environment that you're creating by that habit, you're feeding that habit You're feeding the sinful nature, aren't you, with that habit? Your life will produce hatred, discord and jealousy. But but what about, as an alternative, what about if you were to develop habits that enable the Spirit of God to produce his fruit in your life? The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. What about if you were to build into your weekly schedule, into your habits, opportunities for you to love people by actually serving them? What about if you were to build into your weekly schedule, your habits, time to engage with other Christians, to actually say no to all of the other things I could be doing, say, no, I'm going to sit and I'm going to listen to God's word and I'm going to choose to be challenged by God's word. Or or, or I'm going to gather with other believers regularly, and even if I don't feel like it, I'm going to come together with them, and I'm going to sing songs about the goodness of God. I'm going to declare his holiness, and I'm going to say how good he is, and I'm going to just love him. And we could call that worship, couldn't we? We could. That would be a good idea because that would be building a habit that would allow the Holy Spirit to produce good fruit in us. Or maybe you could decide to build into a week something which gave you an opportunity to to just exercise self-control. You were going to say no to something you could have because maybe it's not the best thing for you to have it. And it may even be a good thing. And if you did those things, what type of fruit do you think your life would produce? You see, you'd be fertilising, wouldn't you? In a sense, you'd be providing a good environment for good fruit. You'd be feeding the life of the Spirit. You certainly wouldn't be feeding the sinful nature. In fact, you'd be starving the sinful nature and feeding the nature which produces good fruit. John Piper (laughs) says in one of his books... A great little quote, he says, you know, I think the work of this life is to lose the appetite for sin. That's great. The work of this life is to lose the appetite for sin. You know that kind of, oh, I'm sick of being good. I just feel like 
being bad. I feel like feeding the sinful nature. Lose the appetite for sin. You know what happens when you starve the sinful nature? It slowly stops producing fruit. It stops producing bad fruit in your life. You lose the the flavour, you lose the temptation because you lost your appetite for that. And whenever I get together with our leaders, I try to challenge them and myself about being constantly on the move in our inner selves. We need to do this, constantly changing, constantly becoming more and more like Jesus. I want to challenge you to do the same thing because the truth is, if you're not growing, if you're not changing, you're dying. Spiritually, you're dying. We need to keep moving forward with the Holy Spirit. See, the Holy Spirit living within us is the spirit of life, real life, and he is determined to form the very nature of Christ in you. You know, when a person places their trust in Jesus, when they make a a decision to follow him, turning from their sins, the scriptures teach that we are are justified before God, as I said before. It says in Galatians 2.16, Know that a man is not justified by observing the law, but by faith in Jesus Christ. Justification means that when God looks at you, he no longer sees all of your sins, but rather he sees the righteousness of Christ. In a legal sense, it is just as if we have never sinned. But there's another aspect to the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives and theologians call this sanctification. To sanctify something means to make it holy. I think this is one of the most beautiful truths about our walk with the Lord is that God doesn't want to just justify you in a legal sense, in a theoretical abstract sense. He wants to sanctify you. He wants to really make you holy in a kind of come Monday morning where the rubber meets the road kind of way. He wants to change you from the inside out so that you really are holy. There's a third aspect of our salvation that uses another fairly big word, glorification. Now that's going to happen in the future. That is our hope that we will be glorified with Christ. So you see, the the past is dealt with. Whatever has happened in the past is dealt with. And you know the beautiful thing is that the cross of Jesus doesn't just cover your sins in the past. It actually covers it in the now and in the future. But when you talk about our salvation, the past is that we have been justified. It is just as if we have never sinned. And sanctification is the present. He is making you holy from the inside out. And if you're a Christ follower, that's where you are now. You're in the middle. For the rest of the days that you walk on this earth, you're in the middle, in the present. But then the future is glorification with Jesus. That is what you've got to look forward to. That is what we have got to look forward to. What I want to challenge you about today is the present. The past has been dealt with, the future is secure, but what about the present? We've got to be constantly on the move 
in our inner selves, constantly allowing the Holy Spirit to make us more and more like Jesus every single day. You know, when you look at the fruit, the fruit of the Spirit, that list, that list there, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness and self-control. I want you to ask yourself, because this is about whether you are growing or whether you're stagnating, whether you're standing still. Because you know the brutal truth? If you go to church, as I have, from the day you were born, you get to see a lot of people. And as God reveals stuff to you like this, I'm able to look back, as I'm sure many of you are able to, at many, many lives, hundreds of lives. And you know the brutal truth? is that so many of us have one year of growth. We learn some things with God, we have one year of growth, and then it all gets a little bit too challenging, so we go back to the beginning. And we have the one year of growth over and over and over again. And that's why someone can say, I've been walking with the Lord 30 years, and everyone knows they're a baby. They're a spiritual baby. I've been sitting in this same spot For 40 years. Yeah, but you never got past the first year, did you? And other people can walk with the Lord for four or five years and they just zoom ahead because every year they grow more and more. I want you to ask yourself very honestly, am I more loving than I was? Am I more joy-filled than I was? Am I more peaceful? Am I more patient? Am I kinder? Does goodness flow more readily in my life? Ask yourself this. Am I more faithful? Am I more gentle? Is there actually more self-control in my life? I want you to be very honest with yourself and ask yourself this question. Am I more of those things in the last 12 months? Have I grown in the last six months? Have I grown in the last month? You know what I found? If if I'm able to say God has not shown me one thing in the last week, the last two weeks, the chances are God hasn't shown me anything in the last three months or the last six months because I'm a habitual person and the sum of my habits is that I'm not placing myself in an environment where God can speak to me. That's just the truth, isn't it? See, if you haven't, maybe the environment of your life is just wrong. It comes down to this. What kind of fruit do you want your life to produce? Really? At your funeral, do you want people talking about all that wonderful fruit that they just couldn't help but talk about? Or do you want them trying to find something good to say because everyone knows that, oh man, his life stunk. 
Everything he touched was just full of conflict and hatred and discord and he hurt people. He hurt everyone. What are we going to say? What do you want from your life? Can I ask just that we all just shut our eyes for a moment? I want to just ask you to try to do something just between you and God in the silence of your own mind and I'd like you to try to just turn off your thoughts about where other people are at with this and just try to think, okay, where am I at? Lord Jesus, what are you saying to me from your word today? I want you now to just imagine the kind of fruit your life could produce if the Holy Spirit could have his way in your life. If you were creating an environment day after day with your habits where you were feeding the tree of life, rather than the tree of death. What kind of fruit could he produce in your life? And now I want you to do another thing. I want you to imagine what things you would then do. What would you look like? Who would you be? How would other people speak about you if this was the case? What would they say about you? And if you died, if you died next week and people were gathering to say farewell and to remember your life, what things would they say about your life? Because Jesus said a tree will be known by its fruit. Now I want you to think big. I want you to dream big. And I want you to imagine the type of person you would be. And I want you to form that dream, that desire into a prayer. And I want you to ask the Lord Jesus if he would do that in your life if he would give you that desire it says in the Psalms that he will give you the desires of your heart Is this your heart's desire? Boldly ask the Lord to make you into that kind of person. And if dreams like this scare you, if prayers like this scare you, I challenge you right now to admit that fear to God. Just say it to him. Admit your fear to him. Name it for what it is. 
Say, God, that scares me, and I don't know if I even want to dare ask for it because you might give it to me. Because you see, maybe your fears are something like this. If I were that kind of person, if my heart was that big, would my needs be met? Would people just walk all over me? I mean, what would it cost me to have that prayer answered? Lord, I'm afraid that you might ask me to move to the other side of the world. So I'd rather not pray that prayer, but can I challenge you this morning just to say, God, that kind of prayer scares me. And I just can't even, I can't even say it. I can't even pray it because it's too scary. Just admit your fear to God. He can cope with that and he already knows all about it. Now ask him to change you from the inside out. Even in this moment to give you the courage to let go of those fears, trusting that he is a good God and he always wants the best for us. And he promises to walk with us personally, himself, every step of the way. Your foot will not stumble or fall. He guides your path. He goes before and behind, surrounding you. Admit your fear and just give that to God. And now, probably one of the hardest prayers I would challenge you about is just to say, Lord, right now, by your Holy Spirit, could you just reveal to me the habits? And I know the Holy Spirit at this point will not give you a hundred habits. It'll be one or two. I know that. I pray that the Lord will give you now one or two of the habits in your life that are producing an environment where the sinful nature grows. And now you might like to say, Lord Jesus, that is my habit. I'm confessing it. It's not good. The fruit of it stinks. Would you help take that habit out of my life? Would you take it away? And deal with it. Would you change my appetite? The appetite that is driving that habit. And would you help me to replace it with habits that will build an environment where the tree of life may grow and blossom in my life? Lord Jesus, I thank you for your word and the challenge of it. And for each person here, who right now is just bowing before the cross and saying, Lord, I lay my life down before you and I ask that you would change me from the inside out and that the tree of life would grow within me. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.